Hi, and welcome to the Confident Woman Podcast. I'm Rachel. And I'm Erin. And we're here to keep it real, raw, and what it means to be the confident woman. All right, friends. Welcome back to another episode of the Confident Woman Podcast. So today we have another guest with us that I'm really excited about. Her name's Hannah. She's um, actually brought down in Houston, Texas. And I'm excited for you to hear from her today because I haven't had a chance to get to know her very long, just a few conversations, but I've heard a lot about her story previously and was really inspired by it. So, you know, I definitely wanted to get her on to share her story and what she's been doing and how she's used that to build a business. So Hannah, hi. Hey, thank you for having me on. (laughs) Thanks for being on. Did I Houston, right? But you're from Colorado. Yeah. So I'm from Denver, but we live in Houston right now. Got it. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. So thanks for being on. Of course. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. And it's fun just because like I said, like I I didn't meet you personally or talk to you till recently, but have just heard a lot about you and your story through your family and through your brother and their stories that he's used about you as a young child, like obviously facing a lot of health ailments from birth, it sounds like. Oh yeah, definitely from so, day one. That's kind of how that everything started. Yeah. So if you could like, just kind of like, kind of share what's happened since that, since you were born with something and... Yeah, of course. So I was born with biliary atresia. It's a super rare liver disease. And I mean, I'm 29. So back then it wasn't, they didn't find it very often because it was super rare. And so I was jaundiced, which means I was yellow. And somebody told my mom at church, like, she's really yellow. Cause of course she saw me every day and she knew that I was a little bit, but she, she was used to it. Yeah. So they're like, you should, you should take her in. And so she did. And that doctor had happened to have seen it one other time. And so yeah. he caught it. I was six weeks. And if you don't catch it pretty quickly, you either don't make it, or if they eventually do catch it, you have to have a transplant like immediately. Wow. And so they caught it quick enough that day they took me down to children's hospital and everything changed. I had a surgery a few days later called a Kasai and um, they put me on a transplant list that first year. And luckily I didn't, I mean, I was in and out of the hospital, mm-hmm. but I didn't end up having to have a transplant. I went back and forth, back and forth, but my parents took me home and I was on the list and they're just praying. And one day it kicked in yeah, and it kicked in well enough that it kept me up until about, I had to do like one hospital visit a year up until probably sixth grade. And then when you start growing a lot, it puts a lot of stress on your body. So starting about sixth grade, I was in and out of the hospital every two to three months. And then my eighth grade year, it was every five to six weeks. So as soon as I got out of the hospital, by the time I'd make it back to school, it was about two weeks later and I was back in. Wow. So I, yeah, I school hopped because I wasn't there very often. So we had to do a lot of parent teacher conferences to, can you make her pass? And so I went to a lot of like private schools and stuff to make sure that I would pass my courses in my freshman year, I wanted to go to high school with my brother just because I get made fun of a lot and that kind of thing. And I needed him. We were best buds. And so I needed that kind of like protection, I felt like. So I went there my freshman year and about two weeks before my 15th birthday, I got so sick that when bile goes into your bloodstream, 
it makes it so it feels like needles. So nothing could touch me. My clothes couldn't touch me. You just felt like needles were poking you. I looked like the Grinch. I mean, I was so yellow. It was like, it was bad. And wow. it looked like someone beat me up. My whole body inside of my arms and my legs were purple and blue. And they just told me, if this happens again, you're going to be living in a hospital until we get a liver and you could just not make it. So we have to get you on the list like ASAP. So I was 15. I didn't really understand what that meant. I didn't want, know what went into it. So that day, they do like a two to three day testing. And from those tests, they put all the numbers and stuff into a computer system. And it prints you out a MELD score. And your MELD score, depending upon how high it is, that's where you go on the list. And every two months, it like you can get two extra points every two months. That's kind of how you raise. And you just wait. You wait for this phone call that yeah. you have no idea when it's coming. They get everybody around you, anybody that you're close with, their phone number, your school, that kind of thing. And once you get the call, they tell you when to come in, but you have 12 hours. Wow. And you have to be there yeah. in that time and changes everything. Yeah. So going through like all during school, your school years, like you weren't able to like play sports or be a part of anything. So I did. So I learned young how to just make it through and to still live a full life. And my parents taught me that really well. We'd get out of the hospital and my parents were so good at it. You know, the doctors would tell them she can't play sports, she can't do this, no rollerblades because if she falls in her stomach, she's in trouble because it was really enlarged. If you look at my Instagram, I posted a picture today of me as a little kid and I look like I'm pregnant. And so they were worried. But my parents, you know, they had a ton of faith and they didn't want me to have to sacrifice all of that. So they were good about it. They let me play whatever sport and we just didn't tell the doctors. So I did competitive cheerleading and I would get sick off and on. And so I always made them let me out of the hospital for my competition. So I was notorious for getting out of the hospital. I'd go to my practice before. And then the day of the competition, because I did a lot of home care, I got to know like how to give myself the medicine, that kind of thing. So I'd take my IVs home or else I was in the hospital for weeks. And so I would do my medicine that morning. I'd pull my IV out. I'd go do my competition. And the girls would go to have celebration. And I would go back to the ER and have another one put back in so I could start my meds back up. So that's how I played sports. And I did that all through high school. Played as many sports as I could. I just, when I got sick and I had a game or something, I'd make them let me out. I'd pull my AV out and I'd just get it put back in before I needed my next dose. Wow, this your story is so fascinating. I'm just, I'm just listening to this like in awe and I'm just like, wow. I mean, yeah. we all have a story and it's just the, the resilience that you had to really instill into yourself at such a young age. And... I feel like so many people like the, when when something like this happens, it can either make or break us. And you've just shown like perseverance, resiliency, determination. And I can imagine like just be, being at a young age, how much that has like magnified over time into where you're at now. So yeah, I'd love to hear more about how, how did you use that to propel you into where you're at now? So I, I mean, it, a lot of people who get like when you're put in that position, you do, you you don't really, you do have a choice to make it, but in a sense, you don't. And I have a very strong personality. And I think 
thank goodness to the type of personality I do have. And you're, you realize you're different young and I didn't want to be different. And so I wanted to do anything I could to be as normal and live as normal as possible. And my parents really instilled that in me. And so we would get out of hospital visit and it was back to normal daily activities. Yes, they would baby me a little bit with like, I still have IVs in and things like that, but they were really careful with it. And they let me do what I wanted to do. My dad always would tell the doctors, you can't, like they told, for instance, told me I couldn't have rollerblades. My brother got them for his birthday one year. My birthday's five days later mm-hmm. and I wanted them. And they're like, no, she can't. Cause if she falls, you're in trouble. My dad is like, do you know what you've done to this girl's life already? No. And he bought me rollerblades that year <laughs> and he taught me to do it. And so they Good really, dad. yeah. And my mom was the same way. So they really instilled that at a young age. And so I used it with business, but it took me a while. It took me a while. I got probably, probably around like high school. I started to get pretty like angry of like, cause I started getting made fun of quite a bit and missing a lot of school and what would be, uh, people make fun of you? What a bunch of jerks. Oh, yeah. I mean, I came back for my transplant because I had it in January. And I couldn't go back to school till like the end of April. And I was a bigger girl the beginning of high school because when your liver doesn't work, nothing gets processed. So it just yeah. sticks. And when I went back, I'd lost around like 45 or 50 pounds. So rumors were spreading of pregnant to drug addict to who I mean everything wow yeah and so I just started to get angry and so it took me a lot of personal development and thank god for that because I don't know where I would be today without (laughs) it and I just had to figure out that there's no point being angry I couldn't change it so how do I use the skills that I built in the hospital for other things in life how do I use it to build a business how do I use it to help people and that's kind of when everything switched is I wanted to figure that out. That's awesome because like like I was saying with with having a story, we can that could be like our stronghold and we could just say, well, we're different and this is why. And we use it as a crutch as to why we can't do the things that we want to do. And you have raised with like just being instilled with like being strong and driven and that if somebody tells you no or you can't, that that's not the end all be all and to really change that on your terms that yes let let you decide that and that's a that was such a powerful takeaway for myself i we all have the story and it's like working in that personal development area it was a shift and it just rippled through everything in life and it's just i i love that you acquired that at such a young age and is really it's been a part of your dna and that's something that many people i really would love to see more of that so yeah that's just awesome <laughs> yeah. yeah you have to learn it or else cause, right Things you, happen. You just become that victim of that story. And that, that's the story and the crutch for the rest of your life. So unless you want a new story, you have to change the way you're thinking, your belief system. You have to get out of your own way. And I, that was huge for me. Go for it. Yeah. Sorry. I had like a hundred thoughts in my mind right now. <laughs> no, you're good. Big <laughs> surprise. No, but exactly what you guys were just saying too, because I think sometimes, yeah, you can use that as a crush or as an excuse of why you can't do something. But then I just think about like comparison. You're talking about like building a business and doing things with your own podcast, all these things that you want to do as far as a business standpoint. And it's almost then on the flip side, kind of an advantage because you've been battling something your whole life that could kill you essentially. So for you, it's like, 
if you kind of tweak it in different perspective, like a blessing, because anything you do in business, no matter what you fail at or what you suck at, or you lose a bunch of money, you're alive. And you've, that's something that's a different mindset or different perspective to look at versus that fear of failure of business because, oh, well, you got way bigger things going on to worry about. Yeah, for sure. But you have to, I mean, you have to switch it because if you don't change that perspective, the victim mentality will will eat you. It'll eat you alive and you will just sit and do nothing. And that's what it did for me for, for a little while is I just felt sorry for myself. And I like, what do I do? Right. And like, why me? And I had to flip it. And once you do flip it, yeah. it is, it is a huge advantage because you do, you realize, man, okay, so this business still didn't work out, but I'm still here. Like I've been through everything. And there's a lot of times I think about, there's a few times where I got so sick in the middle of the night that it is literally God that I'm still here. And I went to bed that night thinking I'd wake up in the morning, but 2 a.m. I shouldn't have been here. And so it is a, a huge perspective shift. And if you can do that, everything changes because you do, you you build these skills that you don't realize you have built. Yeah. But if you can figure it out and really use them to do other things, you, you built them without even knowing it because you yeah. had to. And so go hone in on them, find them and use them to go build whatever you want to do. And man, it, it'll change everything if you can figure that out. Right. It's almost like when we... So are your doctors like shocked by things that you've done? Every time I go into clinics, they're like, have you written a book yet? Have you written a book yet? <laughs> right. and, and yeah, very much so. And especially the fact that I even have a little girl that should never have happened. So they've kind of gotten used to like, well, if anybody's going to do it, it's in me, Hannah. So right. they do. But for a long time, they also get super pissed off at me because <laughs> I will be like, no, we're not doing that. Yeah. Let's find another option. Or like I went into clinic last week and my infection still wasn't cleared and my numbers are sky high. And he's like, uh, I think I may keep you. And I was like, mm, I don't think so. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I feel okay. I'm in like not crazy pain. Let's try this like from home. Let, let me do pills. And if I get that bad, I'll come back in. He's yeah. like, oh. <laughs> and I, I push him. I push him because it's still my life. It's still, even for like, events for big events, I was notorious for being like, Hey, I'm supposed to be on a plane in two days. So what can we do here in the hospital to make sure I'm on it? And they would get so mad at me, but I was like, I know what I'm doing and I'm not going to let this completely consume my life. So we have to figure out a middleman of, yes, I will do your antibiotics, but am I taking it home on a home IV? Are you switching me to pills or what? Because I'll do it, but we're doing it my way. So figure it out. So they, it's a love-hate relationship. That's good. Doctors probably aren't used to having people tell them what they want. So they and especially really- my age. Yeah. I'm by far <laughs> the youngest one that they really see. And so they're like, oh God. <laughs> well, and, and I think we, we know what's best for us at the end of the day. Because I know that like, you know, we go to a professional for help and it's they're, they're doing the best that they can. But at the end of the day, you're the one living in this body. You're the one with the, the tools and mindset and how you can adapt to it. So, at, you know, at the end of the day, you know yourself best. 
And that's yeah. really what matters. And that's where you can kind of set these boundaries and, and self-respect on, on that regard. Like, no, I appreciate what you're trying to help, but I've got this. I've come this far built on trust, faith, and confidence that I'm able to do what is necessary for me to thrive and survive the best for me. Right. Did your doctors tell you ahead of time, like before you got married and everything, like that kids wouldn't be an option for you? So after you have one transplant, it can kind of be an option. There are a lot of people. I've had two. Two transplants. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so it can be an option. I had a lot of problems about five years after my first one. And so they always told me like, "Mm, it was iffy. But then after my second one, and my second one almost killed me. I mean, it was the hardest, literally the hardest year I have ever had in my life. And after that, they were like, there's no way. Like you can't handle it. Your body can't handle it. Your body couldn't do it. It couldn't make a baby. There's no way. You're in survival mode at all times. And so they just told me no. It's not, it, it can't happen. And if we're going to be really girly here, mm-hmm. I didn't have that time of the month mm-hmm. ever because when your body's in survival mode, that's what you don't need that in order to survive. So it starts cutting off things in your body because it has to focus on what is she, what organs, what needs to work in order for her to live and everything else we don't do. And yeah, so it, it started, yeah. So it's just started cutting that stuff off. Wow. Yeah. This is a miracle baby you have. It definitely is. And I'm, when we found out I was pregnant, they wouldn't even call me pregnant until I was about 20 weeks. And they kept telling Ryan and I, it's not going to stick. Don't get used to it. It's not going to. And every time I went into clinic, they'd retest me to make sure I was still pregnant. And um, yeah, and I was in and out throughout my pregnancy. But yeah, they wouldn't technically call me pregnant until about 20 weeks. Wow. Yeah. Did you have her carry her the full term? I carried her the day I turned 37 weeks. I went in and had her because my body started just like shutting down. Yeah. And so that day they had me come in and I had her. Yeah. And how old is your little girl? She's just turned two. And she is healthier than healthy. I was a little nervous because, you know, you're on pain meds and that kind of thing off and on. But you would have no idea. No idea that girl has no health problems. She just is super healthy and none of my meds, anything affected her. So I'm curious too, just real quick with your husband, like when you met him and started dating him, like how was he as far as like, because you would think like a man that cares about you, that's going to marry you and take care of you wants you to not... Like, what's the, what, what is it like him? Like, obviously he wants to push you to be your best self, do the things you want to do. You're going to do it anyways, because you tell your doctors what you're doing. So he's not going to tell you what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. But I'm just saying, is he like soft with you or, you know, like. So his dad had cancer and he passed, his dad passed away from cancer when he was 16. And so when I met him, we fell in love fast. Mm-hmm. Like the first day, about a week later, I could have told you if, if he's okay with it, we're going to get married. Oh, and we both, yeah, we both felt that way. And so, but I had a lot of guys, as soon as they saw my scars, they would walk away like mid date. They'd wow. be like, oh, grandma called. She's sick. I got to go. And I would never hear from them again. And so I was really nervous because we started dating in April and, you know, in Houston, it's hot. 
he asked me to go swimming one day and I was like, oh man, this could be it. So it was with all of his buddies. And so right before we went swimming, I remember I went into his room. I lifted up my shirt and I was like, I have to tell you something. And I told him, I was like, I had a liver transplant in and out of the hospital. This is what this looks like. Are you okay? Mm-hmm. And I remember he kind of had this like look in face and he's like, that is the sexiest thing I've ever seen. And I was like, come again. <laughs> yeah. And he was like, that shows what you're made of. He's like, no. I'm I'm in. So that I was like, okay. tear up. <laughs> I know. I'm literally getting tears here in this. This is like a beautiful love story. Yeah. It it was. And so um, but I knew I was like, man, it could change when he sees just how sick I get. And yeah. my parents weren't living in Houston. And so one day, and it happens really fast. I can be like talking to you guys right now. And 10 minutes later, it can hit me. And you have like 45 minutes to get me to the hospital before I'm in so much pain, I can't function. So I woke up, I'd taken a nap at his apartment and he came back from class and I woke up and I was like, oh no, we had only been dating like three months. And so he asked me if we wanted to be, I wanted to go to lunch. So I did. And I'm kind of like, my shoulders are kind of hanging and I'm just not being my normal self. I didn't eat. He's like, what? What's up? And I was like, nothing. Fine. Don't worry about it. And finally, we got back to the apartment and I just started bawling. And he's like, oh, God, you're sick, aren't you? And I was like, yeah. yeah. And he's like, get in the truck. Let's go. So he drove me all the way down because you have to go to a special hospital. So it was about an hour and a half away. And he called, I mean, you do not ask you flattering questions. He called into school and work. And I remember he did not leave, but one night to go to dinner with a friend and he showered me. We were not at that point in our relationship. I mean, he did everything for me and took me home and took me back to his apartment and took care of me for the next week until I could get kind of back up on my feet. Way to go, and, husband. Shout out. <laughs> Ryan's his name, right? Yes. So he did, he did great, but... When I started getting really sick after my second transplant and they told him a few times, she's not going to make it. He kind of started pushing me away and I didn't realize it. And we're young, married, we're like 24, 25. And so it got tough, really tough because I spent 280 days of that year in the hospital. And the days that I wasn't in the hospital, I was home in bed and it took me everything I had to get from like the bed to the front door or something. So I wasn't going anywhere. Yeah. And so he did. He started, I think, because his dad had passed away and stuff. He started realizing this could happen and kind of pushing me away. So when I finally got back up on my feet, we had to learn how to be married again. And it was not easy. He always took great care of me, but he started to, you know, I just kind of tell back away a little bit of, I can't handle this if she doesn't make it. So I'm going to kind of start closing off. So we had to, um, we had to work at it and it was nothing. It, thank God for what he, him and I had been through previously, because if we hadn't have known how to work through things and how to kind of hit rock bottom and come back up, I don't think we would have made it because we did. We had to learn how to live together again. We had to learn everything because it was like we weren't even married. So it was, it was really different after that transplant. Wow. Yeah. All those things happen for a reason. So you could build off that and come back. Yeah. Longer. It's always like looking back at these and 
in the midst of it, it's so hard and you don't know if you're going to make, make it through. And, but you look back at it and you realize what a blessing all of these hardships that we go through in life, because they really do strengthen who we are and the relationships we are and moving forward just in everything that we do in life. It's just, it's, it's beautiful. It's almost like that struggle. Like we need to have these hardships and so many people back off of them. I I feel like, and it's just, we need to face them head on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It makes you grow. Exactly. The only way you are going to grow. And I'm a huge Rocky fan (laughs) and I love his quote. It's not about how many, time or how hard you can hit. It's about how many times you can get hit right. and get back up. Yeah. And that is so true because you don't know what is going to happen in life. You have no idea. And you have to know, you just have to get back up. And that's what I really want to help people with because we do, we get angry and why me? You yeah. start feeling bad for ourselves, asking all these questions when if you're going to step back and realize there's a huge lesson to learn. There's skills you're building that you don't even know. And next time something that hits you, you're going to barely bat an eye at it because of what you have been through. And it is, it's a huge blessing in disguise. If you really look up a lot of people who have been super successful, it's not because they came from it. It's because they came from rock bottom and that's what built them because they didn't know how to give up. It wasn't in their blood because all they knew was to just keep going because they had to. Mm -hmm. But we do, we let a lot of it just get to us so much that we don't give ourselves the opportunity. We don't let go of it to realize if you step back, it's a big blessing in disguise. Yeah. All the people that you hang out with or friends with or do business with, I would be like, shit, I can't tell Hannah any excuse for not doing it. They do. And sometimes they'll have like a cold or the flu. And they'll like text me and like, but it's nothing compared. I'm like, I don't care. I'm like, you're funny, but I get your cold is different because you like, yeah, so they do. They're like, don't tell Hannah you're sick. Like, she doesn't. But people probably just naturally hold themselves to a higher standard around you because of your. Yeah, because it and it's true, and that also did help me build my business because. You know, we'd have team members be like, hey, I can't make it to the event. I'm like, you know, I'm in the hospital. I'm leaving tomorrow to be there. So why can't you come? (laughs) Awesome. Sell something. Let's get there. And so it it did. And that was a skill that I didn't think was good. But I didn't take any excuses because you had nothing on me. Yeah. And it sounds too like, you know, with the people you're around, your family, the way they treated you, talked with you, personal development, people you're around in business. But I think the biggest thing I've noticed from your story that you've talked about is, does it sound like maybe you had, but it didn't sound like you ever really battled with your faith in those terms. You mean like with God kind of thing? Or maybe you did. Oh, oh, I did. Oh, you did. Um, (laughs) my My dad was a pastor and my whole family is very healthy. And I was really close to my brother and he probably even knows this, but um, he's very handsome. Mm -hmm. He was the football star. All the girls wanted him. He got to, you know, play all the sports, never sick a day in his life. I mean, he just kind of had it going on. Yeah. And so I struggled really bad watching him, watching him throughout high school and that kind of thing, because I just so badly wanted to be normal and to to be him, completely honest. I just wanted to be him. And so I did. My dad was a pastor and I struggled hard. I didn't want to go to church. I'd sit in the back because I would just, why me, God? I don't get it. 
hello, like, do you see me? And I didn't understand it. And it wasn't until I left. So I moved to Texas for my senior year of high school to live with my sister. And I stopped going to church, kind of did my own thing. And something just kind of turned me around. And I started realizing, holy cow, I'm only here because of God. People wait on transplant lists for years. I have never waited longer than a year and a half. And I mean, that's a miracle in itself. And there's just, I have story after my parents have stories of, they had like a $40,000 hospital bill because I went into the hospital and my parents' insurance company didn't call and tell them that I had been, it had been dropped. And so in this like two week time that they didn't have insurance, I had gotten really sick. So my dad called the hospital one day and he's just a pastor and they're not making much. And the lady tells him, so he's like, okay, I'll call you tomorrow to set up like payments. And he calls the next day and the lady was like, your balance is zero. It's like, that's funny. Like, I know but I'm chills. Yeah. It's like, I called yesterday. She's like, no, we have this thing called, it's pretty much frequent flyer miles for people who are in there a lot. And they're like, we forgave your bill. Wow. It's like, are you kidding me? And he's like, can you use, so they faxed him over a whole thing of like, it's all forgiven. And they have so many stories like that, but it, it did. It took me leaving and kind of doing my own thing and finding God for myself. But I did. I struggled big time watching my brother. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I could see that. So I just was, you know, and that's, that was part of where my anger came of like, he has it so good. Why me? And I didn't understand. And I just wanted to be him for so long. That's where I really struggled. And then in turn, sometimes you don't even realize that like how much like you probably inspired him. Yeah. And if you talk to him now, we're best buds. And I don't even think he knew that because I never told him. I was, I was never like mean to him and hey, yeah. you know, you have it the best. I have the worst. And so I think it was probably when we got in our 20s, I think I finally was like, you have no idea how bad I've always wanted to be you. And he's yeah. like, what? And he does. He's like, you're the strongest person I know. And so we did. It's like a relationship. Yeah. You want something, your husband doesn't know it, but you think he should know it. Right. And finally, when you talk, you're like, you would have told me, like, I wanted to do that for you. But and <laughs> it was kind of that same thing of, we just had to tell each other and what we wanted, what we both thought of one another, we had no idea. That's awesome. So I know that you've taken this whole journey and I know that you wanted to share it with people so that you created your own podcast as well. Um, so you want to let people know what your podcast is called or they can check out to hear more for me. Yeah. So I started a podcast called Creating Her Best Life. And I designed it that way because it took me a long time to figure out how to create a really great life. I went through a lot of victim mentality, a lot of struggle in that way. And I wish somebody would have just kind of grabbed me and been like, hey, look, here are the tools to get out of the victim mentality. Here are the tools to help you build a business, to use what you've been through in order to make a great life. And so I started a podcast to kind of do that, to help people build the skills, the mindset, business tools, and also mom stuff. Now everything's changed because I do have a two-year-old. So now I have to navigate business with a two-year-old, hospital visits, that kind of a thing. And so, yeah, I started creating her best life to just help people get out of their own way. And I wanted somebody like that and I didn't have them. 
Yeah. And so that's what I want to be for somebody. Well, I'm going to listen to it. <laughs> yes. It's, it's, your whole story is just so fascinating. I'm still uh, like, this is probably the least I've spoken on any of these podcasts. <laughs> I'm literally so fascinated because I could really resonate with so much of your story in my life and it, no two lives are the same. And it's just like hearing your story just really sparks some of the things that I had gone through. And it's just really, it comes down to like the inspiration and hope for others to come through on the other side that that isn't your end all be all no matter what you're going through that isn't the end and Mm -hmm. just hearing this is just like we I I feel like you and I or the three of us actually how our whole mission is to really inspire encourage and empower women to become their best and most confident selves and that ultimately comes down to owning who you are and your story and not being that victim, but taking life and looking at flipping the your lens, changing your perspective and taking that as like tools into your tool belt so that you have, you're equipped for the rest of your life and how to really hone who you are. So yeah, I mean, just yeah, thank, and to know you so much for sharing this. Yes. Of course. And that is, I think we think because we've been through stuff, maybe I'm not good enough. You feel that imposter syndrome and uh, maybe I'm not worthy of it, that kind of a thing. And I I did, I felt that way, like guilty of being in the hospital, parents missing out on things, so much money spent on it. And you do, I mean, all different things of life, you get divorced, maybe I'm not worthy of love. And it's like, you're worthy of everything and you have everything inside of you to go do it. You just have to get out of your own way in your own head and go do it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So thank you again. I love this. And I I just want to thank you for being a guest on our show and just really connecting. So I'm looking forward to checking out your podcast. And do you have a website? How else can we find you on the social world? So you can find me on Instagram at Hannah underscore Rosenfelder. I have a website coming up this next year. You'll be able to book speaking gigs with me, one-on-ones, that kind of a thing. But you can find most of my stuff on Facebook also, just Hannah Rosenfelder. But I'm most present on Instagram and that's where my podcast is posted. And that's where my website will be linked. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we'll put all of that information in the show notes. So thanks again. Thanks so much, This was great. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. And I'm excited to have you guys on as a guest coming up. So this is going to be really good. Perfect. (laughs) Thank you. We're there. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much for listening to the Confident Woman podcast. For more ways to connect with us, check out our Facebook group. It's the Confident Woman on Facebook. There's a ton of amazing ladies in that group that you can connect with as well. My Instagram is at Aaron underscore travels for life. Make sure you go ahead and follow that and follow Rachel as well. What is yours, Rachel? You can follow me on all social medias at I am Rachel Brooks. Awesome. Thanks so much. Look forward to checking you next week.